Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's not my job to punish offenders who are in my in my facility. That's not my job. They were punished when they received their sentence in court. You know, just because they're they're locked up in prison doesn't mean that they stop being that parent or stop being someone that their family cares for and loves. Hey folks, this is Commander Mark Devine. Welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am super, super stoked for today's guest. We're going to have an extraordinarily interesting conversation. And, you know, I don't don't think we've ever had a guest like Shelith, but I'm not going to tell you about her just yet because I have to remind you that if you like the guest that we have here and the topic... Uh, of uh, mental toughness and resiliency and fortitude and courage and hope and transformation. If those things inspire you and you want to hear more, then go to iTunes and rate my podcast. That way other people will be able to find it. Um, and then also, if you're not on our email list, please go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast and drop your name in so that you can be informed of upcoming guests and any offers we have and that kind of cool stuff. All right, so today I'm actually speaking with someone... I met in Boston a few weeks ago when I was visiting and presenting and doing some work with a group called the Prison Fellowship and one of their kind of sub-organizations called the Warden Exchange. So I'm, um, we're talking to Sh- uh, Shelleth or Shelleth? Shelleth. Okay, I knew I'd mess that up. Shelleth Hansbro. So I'm going to read a little bio and then we're going to get right into it. And this is going to be a fascinating and very interesting and I think valuable conversation. So, so Shalith, is that right? Shalith? That's okay, right. You see, I have a pretty short memory, unfortunately. <laughs> Shalith was appointed warden of the, the Decatur Correctional Center in September 2010. Prior to that, she served as a chief of community and constituent services and special assistant to the director of the Illinois Department of Corrections. She lives in Decatur, Illinois, with her husband, Ken, and two, or Kenneth, I should say, and two daughters, Kendrell and Kennedy, who are 16 and 12. Shelley, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm super stoked to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me because I'm yeah. excited about this as well. Yeah, you know, um, it was a long shot. When I when I um, threw it out there, I, t- I said, "Hey, I really want to interview a prison warden." I asked Pedro who I would, you know, who would be a good warden to interview, and he immediately recommended you. But I kind of expected that the, you know, the bureaucracy would throw up a lot of barriers. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, for me to like just go out and say, "Hey, I want to, I want to interview the." Uh, commander of NASPEC Naval Special Warfare Group 2, well, the public affairs office would get involved and, you know, I'd probably have to sign all sorts of releases and, and <laughs> they flat out would say no, ultimately, you know what I mean? I'll give you um, a little hint uh, or just give you a little secret, little tidbit. Mm. I did start out as a repub- as a reporter Thank and you. I spent time in public affairs and my department knows that. Okay. So 
so they know that you're going to do them right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. So what I want to talk about today is the life of a correctional officer and a warden and how, you know, how it is for you because it's just so far removed you know, like we were talking about before the call, it's so far removed from everyday's experience, just like people are intrigued with the SEALs because they just have no way to connect with it. And I don't know how many people listening to this call have ever visited a prison. I was deeply moved when we visited that prison outside of Boston. You know, uh, 1,500 inmates there, over 60% were lifers. And I got to meet a lot of these men. You know, it was really interesting. I'd never been able to experience that. And it kind of opened my eyes a lot about the, the, you know, both the prison population, the correctional officers, the challenges they face, and, and as a leader, the challenges you face. But let's start, you know, before we jump right into that, let me, let's find out kind of who you are. What were your like early childhood influences and, and how did you get interested in, in this career path? Did you wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a prison warden or was it an incremental <laughs> thing? <laughs> Absolutely not. I did not wake up one morning and think I'm going to be a prison warden. As a matter of fact, anyone who knew me beforehand said, now, wait a minute, you're a prison warden. But you know what? It has been an awesome move for me personally, as well as I hope I've been able to really be beneficial to my staff and the women that are in the correctional center where I work. I started out as a my dream of becoming a reporter. Uh-huh. I was a reporter when I first got out of college and moved to Decatur, Illinois, where I learned a lot about the community and people. I moved on and I moved to um, the state of Illinois and I did public affairs. Mm-hmm. And so, and for at the that state point, government, right? For yeah. the state government, okay. yes. And so, and for the Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. And so, as I sat on the director's council and started really having input in in policy and procedure and really what it means for the staff and for the prisons, I really got interested. And so Mm -hmm. I started to volunteer for security reviews. I started to, I volunteered to be the leader of the quality of life improvement committee for the women prisoners. Mm -hmm. And so I started really doing a lot more than what my job entailed because Mm -hmm. I really, really felt a passion for it. And so I went back to school. I got a master's in public administration. And I thought, you know, I could run a city. And that's exactly Uh, what I do now. I run a city. You run a city. Yeah. It makes sense. It's kind of like a, like a, like an aircraft carrier commander. I mean, you've got a self-contained, you've got to provide food, you got to provide bedding, you got to provide healthcare, everything. Wow. That's very interesting. So you had, you know, so you, you'd started to develop a passion for this, but what do you, can you identify where that passion, you know, what was driving that passion? Was it a, a deep care for the, the female prison population or was it more about the institutional side? I mean, what was kind of behind your passion for moving into this as a career path? Well, you know, I had never, ever in my previous years ever thought that I would be in corrections, especially on the security side. But again, going into the prisons and talking with family members who had so many concerns about their their loved ones, mm-hmm. um, being involved on the insta- on the management side and determining, you know, which prisons are we recommending to stay open? What about improvements to the prison facility and improvements to the population by providing them with the programs that they need and things like that to help them be successful. And really at the end of the day, I started to be able to see them as people 
and not as prisoners. Right. Yeah. Taking the label away. I wonder, this is what was going through my mind while you were talking, probably not all correctional officers or all wardens have that mindset that, you know, that positive orientation that everyone, you know, that the population has goodness and can re-enter society and be, you know, productive and, and happy citizens again. I mean, and I can imagine how much that will impact a, their experience of the job and B, the performance and, and actually the, the impact on the prisoners, right? So if you go to work every day and you believe that these are bad people who need to be punished versus go to work every day and say, hey, these people made a mistake and we're here to help reform them and get them back on their feet. You know, is, let me, I guess, form this into a question. Is your, first of all, your orientation is the latter. I know that from talking to you and meeting you. Is that the norm or is that unusual for, for people in your career position? You know, you have people all over the gamut. You right. have people who do believe that through programming and through support and resources that individuals can change and be successful. But you do have that per population that wants to punish offenders right. when they are in a prison setting. And I'm not just talking about the females, but the males also. You have a lot of staff that work in the women's facilities that feel like you can't really even discipline the women, you know, because we're always coming to their assistance or to, or to their aid. But as a warden, I get to see the whole picture, right? You know, when a police officer writes a ticket, if he follows that ticket all the way to court and beyond, you know, sometimes he has to come in, but he has to realize that that ticket may get thrown out. And it's the same way in the prison setting because I have the complete picture of what's going on because I I have researched it and I've looked into it. I will say this. It's not my job to punish offenders who Mm -hmm. are in my in my facility. That's not my job. Right. They were punished when they received their sentence in court. Right. What my responsibility and my staff's responsibilities are, it's our responsibility to keep them safe and secure, to ensure public safety and at the same time try and provide them with needed resources to help them be successful. And success means not returning to prison and being a viable part of their families and communities. Yeah. You know what, that, um, what you just said there was a huge, uh, eye opener for me because I think a lot of people are ignorant about that and think that the prison is the punishment and you're right. The prison is the holding tank to reform, but the punishment is the loss of freedom. The deprivation of their freedom and right. time, absolutely. And that's a real shift in, in um, you know, mental shift. And when you make that mental shift and you're like, okay, you could see how all sorts of reforms could be made to the way the prison system was built, you know, for the industrial age, you know, compared and the success or lack of success it might be having. And I know, um, so some prisons are, are doing better than others in reducing the recidivism, recidivism, right? The, the recidivism. Recidivism. Absolutely. You must have a special class just to say that word, right? <laughs> just to be able to say that. But you know, women recidivate at a lesser rate than men do really? as well. And, and I also have another caveat to add to that is that I have a prison nursery program. So I do have staff that really believe that there are instances for women to change. There were so many people that were against that program um, nearly nine years ago when it started that. And now most of my staff that you talk to, they buy into it and they believe that had women being able to have their babies in prison with them, 
Mm. helps them be able to be more productive and successful when they go home. I can imagine. So you're talking about women who who are forced to leave their child behind because they're incarcerated. Oh, that could be. Absolutely. And so what happens is I, I, I interview women at the other prison when they come in, if they're pregnant, and then we're able to select up to eight at a time to come to my prison and live on a specialized housing unit with specialized staff and their children and their infants. And the infants stay there with them full time. The infant stays there with them full time. Up to 24 months, and then they leave. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's amazing. I, I mean, I'm stunned. I think um, how powerful it is for the kid to be able to be connected. Absolutely. The time of the formative years when right. they have that bonding, when they need to, they need to bond right. with their mothers, then we are able to help them do that. I had a woman that had four other children on the outside. And so when and she was pregnant, she came over to our program. Mm -hmm. And what happened at the end, she said our program made her be a better program, helped her to become a better parent to the children that she left on the outside. Mm -hmm. We also allow for those children to come in on extended visits with the mom and the baby. And then when they left, they went to a treatment center together. Mm -hmm. She went there with with the rest of her children and the baby that she had Mm -hmm. there. And she said, by far. This program has helped me to become an overall better parent. I never parented my children. My mother did that. But now I am their parent. That's that's really cool. Now, of course, I'm sure a significant number or percentage of the prison population is, uh, has a lot of, you know, mental baggage, let's call it, and still makes bad choices in prison. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about kind of like what are the what are the challenges for your um, correctional officers? What's a day in the life look like of a correctional officer? And what's, and what's a day in the le- life of a warden look like? Absolutely. And it really depends on what's going on that day. We may have offenders that need to go out to court or need to go to a scheduled medical furlough. Mm -hmm. It may not be scheduled. It may be an emergency. Mm -hmm. Well, the officers will have to take them out to those appointments. That has to happen. And we have to know what the policies and procedures are. We're getting someone out of the facility. Mm -hmm. You have a records office that has to drop them from the population count. We've got to get them, you know, from point A to point B safely and securely Mm -hmm. Um, inside the facility. You've got programs going on, educational programs, as well as some lifestyle redirection type groups. And give us some uh, examples of those. Lifestyle redirection, for example, is a six week curriculum um, that allows the offender to really focus on her criminogenic path. What led her down the road that she's on? Mm -hmm. So dealing with some real critical issues in their lives. You have women that have been broken. You know, I have staff that don't believe that, but if they really knew their backstories, there's no way that they could say that we have people that haven't been broken Mm -hmm. and found themselves in this situation. And many times, Mark, the reason that they've even survived at all is because they're locked up in prison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So this form of therapy, essentially. So, um, when you do those programs, you have contractors who come in and or professionals, or are they part of the staff? We have professionals. We mm-hmm. have professionals that come in, but we also have offenders who participate mm-hmm. in some of the mental health groups. And, you know, we have transitions teams. Mm-hmm. Those are the transition. They're transitioning from prison and getting ready to go home. We have... They'll be in, like, these, the people who are transitioning, who have graduated some of these programs, do they help teach or yes, take a, they a do. They role? help to provide the actual um, 
they they actually are the ones that provide the the lecture for the the class and mm-hmm. and lead that that mm-hmm. discussion. In addition to that, we have the youthful offender, mm-hmm. those who are coming in who are just starting out in their you know criminal um, history and just trying to help them realize how this is really not the life that they want to lead. And there are offenders who um, lead those discussions as well with the assistance of the behavioral health technician right. who is an employee of the of the department. So, Shalith, what does your day look like? When you go, what time do you go in? I mean, is it like going to a normal job for you or do you have to like go through, you know, major security just to get into your office? What, what does that look and feel like to you? Because again, we, you know, I've seen images of wardens on TV and a lot of times they're kind of unsavory characters the way they're portrayed, you know, by the media. I, I, I work in a minimum security women's prison. It's still a prison, but definitely we feel safe there. Okay. Um, you ask the, the offenders that because we do have quality of life tours where we go and we ask them. Um, they feel safe. And I believe my staff feels safe too. We've asked them as well. But I come in and I don't go through the same security as my officers do. And when they come in, they have to clear the metal detector. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that they can and cannot bring in. And I try to lead by example. If it's something that I'm not going to allow my officers to bring in, I won't bring right. in any. And so I come in and usually when I hit the door, um, I get the, it depends because my normal work day is of course is eight to four, mm-hmm. but as a word, that's not the right. time I'm right. there. You know, I go in for unscheduled inspections or unscheduled tours. I may go in at three or four o'clock in the morning. I may go at, um, and I, I go at least one day on the weekend if I'm the duty warden who's on call. Mm-hmm. So let's just say a regular day that I come in at eight o'clock. I come in and as soon as I hit the door, I have people waiting to talk to me. I have offender request slips. I have mm-hmm. staff who are standing, needing some direction. Right. And it's that way throughout. As soon as I'm able to pull myself away from my computer with all of the paperwork that needs to be done, I go out and I walk the facility Mm -hmm. and I go in and I check in with staff and offenders. And again, when they want to talk to me, most of the time I have time and I and I will talk to them. If it's something that I can handle later, I'll just tell them to drop me a slip. Mm -hmm. But I make sure that I at least make eye contact with them Mm -hmm. and and let them know that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in what their situation is. And so that's that's usually it, you know, inspecting the when I say inspecting, it's basically touring, finding out, you know, what the issues are of the day and dealing with them. Yeah. There may be a pipe that busts somewhere. I've got to find out from my chief engineer, what do we do? How much is this going to cost? Deal with the business administrator and try and get the money to get things fixed and approved. So it just really it's it's just being in charge, meeting with my assistant warden, with my administrative assistant, the clinical services staff. They're the counselors who make sure that offenders are taken care of in terms of you know their mental health, as well as making sure that their time is accurate and answering questions and helping them to transition into having a positive transition. Right. What is the uh, process or what is it? all of a sudden become like the, you know, when the routine is shattered and there's a crisis, like a riot or a major fight or, you know, someone, you know, actually trying to escape. I imagine that happens probably infrequently, right? 
Well, at my facility, we've never had an escape. Okay. We've never had anyone attempt to escape because these and and no prison riot. You have fights because anytime you have a large group of women who live together, you're going to have issues where people just don't get along. Right. But in terms of of the facility, you know, these are the women that are going home. Right. Fifty percent of the women at the Decatur Correctional Center will go home within a year's time. Okay. And then 50 percent of that number are going to go home in six months. You know, you can be there up to eight years if you really have some time. But after that, we're not going to get that maximum and medium security offender. Mm -hmm. The offenders that are here are minimum security. And, you know, they haven't tried to do any of that. And I should find some wood to knock on. <laughs> I'm not going to for you. <laughs> but now, when you talk about unusual occurrences where everything, you know, everything changes, your routine is thrown. For example, if we lose a tool, mm -hmm. something as easy as, or look as small or as simple as, let's say, um, a, a kitchen utensil. No kidding. And so you have to have. Lose, we've got to find it. No kidding. Okay. A dental instrument. Mm -hmm. If we lose that, then everybody, women are getting shaken down or searched. Staff are going in there and all hands are looking for that. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you know, the prison is going to go unlimited to no movement until we can find that. No kidding. Because ultimately, we want to make sure that nobody uses that on someone, uses it as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And even though we have not had a history of that, behavior, we still need to remember that it is a prison and we have a, a responsibility and an obligation to keep staff and offenders safe. Right. If you're finding inspiration in the Unbeatable Mind podcast, then I bet you're ready to take the next step toward discovering your why and developing your self-mastery. So I encourage you to check out the Unbeatable Mind Online Academy. The Unbeatable Mind Academy is our intensive online training program with step-by-step techniques and training for developing mental focus and clarity, expanding your awareness, developing authentic leadership, increasing your functional fitness, nutrition, and recovery, and all around developing yourself to a higher stage and maximizing your performance as a human being. You're going to get great training and support from myself and other coaches, and you'll be connected to your peers on the same journey in our private Facebook group. So if you're ready to cultivate your warrior spirit and develop your unbeatable mind, find out more at unbeatablemind.com. That's unbeatablemind.com. Hoo-yah. See you in training. Now, when I went to the prison in Boston, I was surprised to see that the, um, the prisoners were not – is there a better term for them than prisoners? I mean, is that the term? We call them offenders. The offenders were not actually locked down, so to speak – even at night, right? And so they were free to roam and they were, it almost felt a little bit like a college campus. They had, they lived in kind of these little pod apartments mm -hmm. and um, they were, you know, like in class, you know, and I went to the gym and there was a, there was a group doing insanity workout, you know, <laughs> and they had this, this gymnasium, which was far better than mine. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting to me. It, you know, because again, my perception was, you know, that they were in these cells most of the time. And when they were, you know, when they weren't, they were out marching in a line around the grinder. Uh -huh. you know I mean? <laughs> well, I'll tell you about my facility. We don't have bars in my facility. Really? Okay. Well, and so when you said a college campus, that's 
um, one of the descriptors that people have given to the Decatur Correctional Center when they come in. Mm -hmm. And so the only locked door is the outside door, but the inside of the housing unit, you know, they are, they're kept secure in the housing unit. But again, it doesn't look like what you would expect a normal prison or a a prison with bars to look Mm -hmm. like. That's not, that's not our facility at all. And I tell you, if you come on any given Sunday, you'll catch them playing volleyball. And I bet if I put them against anybody in the state, (laughs) (laughs) and maybe further than that, um, they, we have some very good volleyball players at my prison. We just actually had on the Memorial Day holiday, we had a tournament. And so it's something to see. I went in there, but yes, we are women. And you know what? I talked about the sports, but we have women that that give back so to the community. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, they give to the cancer care walk. Mm-hmm. They give to breast cancer awareness. If there's something going on, they send me notes and they ask Warden, is it okay if we give or if you donate? They do that. Mm-hmm. You have women who may make $30 a month at the most who send money home for their kids mm-hmm. for, so that they can get school supplies. You know, when school starts or birthdays, they never forget. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just because they're they're locked up in prison doesn't mean that they stop being that parent mm-hmm. or stop being someone that their family cares for and loves. Right, right. I, I read something recently that there's actually um, a surprisingly high number of of inmates who sabotage their release. And so there's some sort of psychological thing going on where the closer they get to their release date, the, the more incidences of um, problems that they have. You know, it's almost like they're trying to say, I'm not ready for, you know, for my freedom. You know, I've, they've gained some sort of comfort level with that system. Have you experienced that? And what are your thoughts on that? I have experienced that. I have someone right now who is actually in my facility. She's been locked up for over 30 years. She spent more time incarcerated than she spent on the outside. Mm. And the way that she says it, she says, you know, I spent more birthdays here than I have on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so where she started out at one women's facility and then, you know, as time went on, she was able to transfer into Decatur Correctional Center. And so right now, though, she goes home in September. Mm. And she is really acting out because she doesn't even know how to use a cell phone. She doesn't know how to use a computer. All of the technology, the world has changed in 30 years and she's been incarcerated that whole time. And again, she's acting out and she's very afraid. I've had someone who was going home that day. Mm-hmm. And she committed an infraction that kept her there because mm. she wasn't ready to go home. Don't you have programs to prepare them for the the just the practical aspect of getting back on their feet? You know, like how to go set up a bank account and how to absolutely know, use a cell phone and all that kind of stuff. We do. We have our counselors that help them with that, and we also have reentry summits a couple mm-hmm. of times a year where we bring in community organizations and state departments that come in and they help them with just those issues, how to find housing, jobs, Mm -hmm. how to assist with getting a social security card or just an ID Mm -hmm. that doesn't have Illinois Department of Corrections on it. Mm -hmm. And so helping them to be able to, you know, help basically a casework supervisor who helps them 
to determine what their issues are as they prepare to go out. And then from the parole aspect, once they go out and they're under supervised watch, then at that point, they also almost take on the same role as a case manager Mm -hmm. um, to help them be successful. So are you still involved with the, is your organization still involved once they're out on parole? Or do you hand that over a different unit? No, we are not. That's a different unit. unit. It's still the Illinois Department of Corrections, but it's no longer the Decatur Correctional Center. The only way that I would be involved again would be if, you know, they were violated and returned to prison. Right. So let's shift focus from your your prison to prisons at large. Um, What do you think about the private prisons and the move to privatize. It seems to me that there's, there's a big conflict of interest in, with that whole idea. And, and that makes, you know, I, a lot of people I talk to are uncomfortable with that notion. I am. Um, the state of Illinois is actually against the law okay. to have private prisons exactly. in the state. So all of our prisons are public institutions. And so that's all I've ever known. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know much about um, moving into the private sector. Mm-hmm. But what I do know, I, I guess I'm not very comfortable with it. And it may be just lack of knowledge. But it does just seem the things that I've heard, you know, that, you know, that they really don't have a vested interest right. in in the offenders or the facility they just want to you know take maximize them profit right. it's all about profit yeah well, it does seem like if you're it maybe maybe it's the way they're paid right if they were if they were actually compensated to get people um, back on the street to reform them then it would make more sense but if you're if you're paid by headcount then your whole incentive is to right. keep people in Absolutely. and to get more people and um, I remember talking to one of the individuals who was a former inmate was in for seven years uh, when I was in Boston, and he said he did a short stint at a private facility, and he said it was really kind of um, eerie because there were very few correctional officers, and everything was like really, really? high tech and cameras, and you know it was like ghost town, and they didn't have a lot of programs, and it just he said it was very austere techno kind of strange, and the whole point was just to keep you locked down and, and keep prisoners in. And of course, you know, he was providing his perspective, but uh, it made me think that um, that that could be a real a real challenge, you know, for for states that do allow private prisons. You know, where do you think we stand on reforming prisons? You know, like a lot of bureaucratic institutions that were built for the industrial age. Do you see movement to improve? the systems and the, the programs and to really try to reduce recidivism in, uh, in Illinois? Well, Illinois right now is, uh, I think a lot of people know this, we're going through some real budget challenges. Mm-hmm. And so what we're finding is that we're, we may have been able to previously bring in more contractors, bring in additional resources that we could pay for. We're finding that that's limited right okay. now. However, we do have opportunities for staff to participate in educating offenders and providing them with some of that resource. And I think what has happened is is that we're finding ourselves being able to do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, parole school. You know, when they're getting ready to go out on parole, we're able to sit them down and explain everything that they might need to know. Substance abuse awareness. Having There's education that, that goes along with that. Our own staff can teach those education courses. They can't 
provide the treatment, mm -hmm. but they can provide the education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a, an industries program where women are learning how to sew and they're, you know, making uniforms for officers and for other departments in the state. We have a dog grooming program where they can get a license. Hmm, cool. So we have that. So there are things that we find ourselves, we may not get, be able to get money thrown into a, to the situation, but we're finding ourselves figuring out, determining what we need to do to best assist the offenders. But there's still accountability and they have to want it. And that's the end of it. That's what that's the part that sometimes people don't understand. They'll hear me say we need to provide resources. We need to help. But the offenders have to also have accountability and they have to want the change. Right. If they don't want it, if they don't own up to their part in what needs to happen to make them a better citizen, a better daughter, a better friend, a better parent, then it will never work. Right. Well, that brings up a really interesting point. How do you and your staff develop a culture of hope and desire for transformation? You know, is, is there a way that you can influence, let's say, someone who comes in who's depressed and, you know, not able, not really showing any interest? Um, do you guys have, you know, ways to, do you have language around, you know, encouraging them to move forward and to get on with their life and, you know, create an atmosphere and a culture of hope? We do. One, and part of that is just being responsive. Right. If they have issues that they need to discuss. You know, I have male staff that work in my prisons mm -hmm. and I'd let my male staff know you may be the only positive male that she has ever seen in her entire life. Interesting. Everyone else has taken from her or abused her mm -hmm. or, or just stolen from her. You name it. You may be the only male that she ever gets to see that shows her that everyone is not that same person who did all those bad things. Mm -hmm. And just reminding them, and I think that that goes a long way too. And the same with the female staff, you know, just also, if you tell them you're going to do something, you do it, you lead by example. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then they get to see a whole environment that they may have never, ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, I just, you know, there will be times that an officer may not act appropriately. That mm -hmm. happens. Yeah. But when that happens, we also have to act quickly and make sure that we are looking into every allegation, every instance of impropriety. We have to do that. And when we show them that we are doing those things, I think that we show them that there is hope, that there are people who care about them mm -hmm. and and. I'm constantly telling them, you have to care for yourself. Right. If you don't care about yourself, then you can't care about others either. That's so true. I, in fact, that's a core message of my book, Unbeatable Mind, is that you know, we take care of ourselves. We, we, you know, we work toward being able to control our mind and emotions so that we can you know, begin to show up in the world and positively and feed the courage wolf and those types of things. And I can imagine how important it would be to have that kind of language because as you alluded to most of these women and you know and, and and others in other facilities came from such broken systems you know family and their friends and gangs and everything and so it was all negative and they they've never experienced a positive mindset or even feeling good about themselves there's no self-esteem no self-worth there 
That reminds me, did you get a copy of the Unveil Mind book that I, I, did. I sent? Yep. Uh, I sent some to Pedro to, to try to. I like to. He I'd did. Love to distribute those to the prison so they can start to. Uh, be, you know. I've actually put one out there because I received one when I did the just the podcast with the Warden Exchange program, right, right. and then I received another one when we had our residency, and oh, cool. so. I've already put one out in the um, prison library. In the library. Oh, thanks. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's cool. I often get letters from prisoners who have uh, read Eight Weeks to Seal Fit. So somehow that's found its way into some of the prisons because a lot of these young guys, you know, they work out. And so I mentioned I saw guys doing insanity and uh, I was really kind of looking for someone doing like a Seal Fit workout when I went to the prison <laughs> in Boston. <laughs> but um, it's always, it stuns me. And, and I, uh, I wrote one guy back and I sent him a copy of Unbeatable Mind and he was just so appreciative. I mean, it was, it was cool to be able to, to help him out, you know, in that small way. And, you know, he, mm-hmm. he wrote back and said that he's doing his workouts and, you know, working on his mind and trying to improve and trying to own his part of why he, why he's in that situation. Right. That was pretty neat. Um, so how do you, what are your rituals that help you maintain a positive attitude every day in this career? You know, career? I will say right before I came there, I mean, just the stress level had just gone to just somewhere that I just wasn't even comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so something that you taught us and um, Major Angela Locke, who was also there with me, and we still do this now, and that's your, the breathing. You know, sometimes when it just gets overwhelming, just take a moment. And not only does it help us, but I've also, when I've had an offender who was just really upset, overwhelmed, that's one thing that I have, I've just said, stop, now breathe. And just breathing up and breathing down and just taking their time and then saying, okay, now let's talk. Nice. And so I, I, I do that um, and doing more exercise again, because there is a time for a while that I wasn't able to and didn't. And so getting back into that, it just really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. It really does. And you feel like you're taking care of yourself. Do you have a meditative or contemplative or prayer practice? I have ritual? one. I have. Well, I have a prayer and it's on my computer (laughs) and I read it every morning. But actually, before I even go into my prison Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, I do pray and I ask God to go in before me to prepare a way for me. Mm -hmm. And I also ask him to help to lead and guide my decisions that I make, Mm -hmm. that I make the best decisions for my that allows my staff to go home and allows prisoners to feel safe and secure in their environment. Nice. So um, we got to wrap this up here, and I know you got a vacation to start attending to. So. I do. But um, what's kind of what's next for you? Where where do you go from being a CEO of Battleship Prison? You know what I mean. What, what's next for you? Uh, I don't know. Um, I am right now the longest sitting warden at the Decatur Correctional Center. Really? I've been here for six years, and probably the longest warden right now in that's in the same prison. Okay. So I haven't really, not sure just yet. I've been able to, I was on the road so much before in my other jobs, um, driving and mm-hmm. flying throughout the state. And this also gave me a chance personally mm-hmm. um, to be home with my children, mm-hmm. where I used to have to hire people to pick them up, drop them off, babysit, right. that I was able to do that. So it really has been helpful for my family also mm-hmm. to be in close proximity to where I work. 
and also where my um, my family is. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no like term limits or anything like that. For no you. term. <laughs> no no term limits. And that that brings up another question that I, I probably could have asked earlier. But how do you are you appointed? How do you get to be a warden? Right, I am appointed. Okay. Yes. And you're appointed, you know, of course, we're at the governor's will, okay. but um, appointed and by um, the governor and the director of the Illinois Department of Corrections. So if the governor came to you and said, Shalith, uh, I need you on my, you know, corrections commission or something like that, is that something you would say yes to? Or, do you, you know, you probably, it's tough to say no to the governor, but. It's tough to say no to the governor. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't pressure you on that one. You know, this has been fascinating. So, um, you know, oftentimes my podcast guests are like authors and they're promoting stuff. But if, you know, I know you're not that, but if someone wanted to learn more about the subject, is there a good resource or, or book about prison reform or, you know, where, do, where does someone like me go to learn more about your world? You know, there's just so much that's out there. There really is. And so um, one thing that's, I know that I was very, you know, the Vera Institute does a lot, okay. a lot of work. Um, the Illinois um, Criminal Justice Authority, okay. ICESIA, you can find a lot of information there as well. Does the Prison Fellowship uh, have any resources? The prison Fellowship is awesome. Excuse okay. me. I can't even believe that I didn't bring them up, but Prison Fellowship is awesome. They have a website. Okay. They have really been instrumental in bringing wardens together, yeah. having an opportunity to just share, you know, we, our facilities may be different. Mm-hmm. Our issues may be different, some of them, but at the same time, there's a lot of similarity. Yeah. And then you learn from each other. Just being able to go to, you know, the prisons that we've been able to visit. I've come back and just thought, okay, so how could we make that work here? Mm-hmm. And then I've also shared a lot with my counterparts. Mm-hmm. And so, and the the opportunity has just been an amazing adventure. And so, I just am very thankful and honored to have been a, been able to participate. Right. Very cool. Well, thank you for doing what you do. It's thank probably you. one of those thankless jobs, and but you just show up every day with a smile on your face and <laughs> and help those ladies. So I really, you know, I honor that, and I know we all do. Thank you. And good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, folks, that was fascinating. And Shilly, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your vacation. Um, Maybe I'll I'll connect with you again someday through Pedro and the Prison Fellowship. In the meantime, um, folks uh, who are listening, there you have it. What a fascinating peek into a different world. May we wish them all the best. And for you, uh, just see what you learn from this. And you know, take it on board and keep your training up, stay focused, keep forging that unbeatable mind. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hoo-ya, Coach Divine out. If you're finding inspiration in the Unbeatable Mind podcast, then I bet you're ready to take the next step toward discovering your why and developing your self-mastery. So I encourage you to check out the Unbeatable Mind Online Academy. The Unbeatable Mind Academy is our intensive online training program with step-by-step techniques and training for developing mental focus and clarity, expanding your awareness, developing authentic leadership, increasing your functional fitness, nutrition, and recovery, and all around developing yourself to a higher stage and maximizing your performance as a human being. You're going to get great training and support from myself and other coaches, 
and you'll be connected to your peers on the same journey in our private Facebook group. So if you're ready to cultivate your warrior spirit and develop your unbeatable mind, find out more at unbeatablemind.com. That's unbeatablemind.com. Hoo-yah. See you in training. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UDT. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.